Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and you're listening to the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast, a place for practical advice for women looking to balance their hormones, ditch dieting, and discover mindset shifts that will keep you motivated and empowered on your healthy eating journey. Are you ready to get started? If you've been listening to my podcast or following me online for any amount of time, you know I love plants, right? Well, today's interview is all about eating more plants, and I have the best person to talk about it on the show. My guest is Robbie Barbero, and you're going to love this guy because he's so energetic and passionate about this topic, you just cannot help it but get excited too, which I definitely did during this interview, and I know you will as well. Along with Cyrus Kambada, Robbie is the co-founder of Mastering Diabetes, which is an online coaching program for people living with all types of diabetes and want to manage the condition, specifically reverse insulin resistance through plant-based nutrition. Robbie's personal story begins when he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 12, and in 2006, he had adopted a low-fat, plant-based eating approach and never looked back. Since then, while eating pounds of fruit every single day, his hemoglobin A1c value has never exceeded 6.4%, and his blood glucose has been stable and easy to manage, which we're going to talk about during this interview, and he has a great story to share with you. Robbie is the co-host of the annual Mastering Diabetes Online Summit. He's a featured speaker at Whole Foods Global Headquarters and is the author of the book Mastering Diabetes along with Cyrus Kambada. The book is an incredible resource for anyone looking to reverse insulin resistance, and it became an instant New York Times bestseller. The information in the book is well-researched. It's actually backed by about 800 scientific references, and it details Cyrus and Robbie's groundbreaking step-by-step method to reversing insulin resistance, which, as we know, is the underlying cause of all blood glucose variability. And specifically for us on this podcast, we're interested in insulin resistance, you and I, right? Because it's the driving force behind hormonal imbalances that can cause most PCOS symptoms that we all know, such as fatigue, hirsutism, acne, cravings, belly fat, and even anxiety and depression. As I said many times before, if you want to balance your hormones, you have to start with balancing your blood sugar and managing or ideally reversing insulin resistance. It makes a huge difference. And today on the show, I'm going to talk to Robbie about his approach to doing just that. And I have to tell you, the two things that I love most about Robbie and Cyrus's approach is first, that it's a very well-designed method. They use a four-step approach, which is very clear, and we will, of course, get into all of that in today's interview, but their process is laid out very clearly, very easy to follow, and of course, in their programs, they coach you through it, or if you read the book, you're going to be able to coach yourself through this process. And the second thing is that their approach to mastering diabetes 
Sandy's approach is not rigid and you could certainly ease into it and adopt parts of it and still see tremendous benefits. So it's not all or nothing. You take what you feel comfortable with and start there, make it your own. You're going to see results. So we touch on this as well because I ask him about what if someone doesn't want to fully go plant-based? What if someone's not ready to fully embrace this approach and follow it closely You'll see what he says about it. And I have to tell you, Robbie also tells us what he eats in a day, which I always love to hear. I want to know what other people are eating. (laughs) That's something that I'm particularly interested in. So I asked Robbie what he eats in a certain day, and he told us. So we got pretty specific and even spoke about his typical food day too. We got to keep it fun, right? All right. So without any further ado, let's get into my interview with Robbie Barbero. Robbie Barbero, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. Yeah, likewise. So for my listeners who don't know a whole lot about you, although they totally should be, uh, tell us who you are, what you do, and what kind of things do you work with people on? Well, so I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 12, just about to turn 13. So that was the beginning of my journey into this entire field of health and wellness, and diet, and nutrition, and lifestyle. So I'm going to make that story really short, because I know we have a lot of other fun things to talk about today. Yes. But long story short, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I started following the standard American diet, just like I was taught by my doctor, my endocrinologist. I got standard American symptoms. I had cystic acne. I had plantar fasciitis. I had warts on my feet. I had chronic allergies. I would get sick all year long, even though I was taking days and exercise, still getting sick all the time. And eventually, I tried a bunch of different diets, and I came across a low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet, and that transformed my quality of life as far as my symptoms. All that went away. My skin cleared up. Plantar fasciitis is gone. I don't take any Nasonex or Claritin-D. I don't get sick. I don't have any warts on my feet anymore. I have more energy than ever, and life is great. But the most important thing is I saw changes in my management of type 1 diabetes. And the big changes were in my insulin sensitivity, which I know we'll talk about more today. And nowadays, I'm eating well over 700 grams of carbohydrate per day. I am injecting a physiologically normal amount of insulin, about 27 units of total insulin per day. And my A1C is 5.3%. My time in range is 92%. So that's a new metric for people living with diabetes where we wear continuous glucose monitors So we can see our blood glucose every five minutes on our phone. And we can see over the course of 24 hours or seven days or 30 days or 90 days, how much time are you spending with your blood glucose in the set range? For type 1 diabetes, that set range is 70 to 180. So what percent of time am I in that range? And 92% is an extraordinary number compared to the basics for the type 1 community, which is closer to like 60 to 70%. And those are people also using a, 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 um, a automatic pancreas, which also helps improve time and range. So I'm using multiple daily injections for anybody who knows about that and excellent time and range. But the point is I'm doing all that, have fantastic results. My other symptoms have gone away and I'm using a physiological normal amount of insulin. Whereas a lot of people uh, following a lower carbohydrate diet, they will inject about the same amount of insulin, on average about 30 units of insulin per day and 30 grams of carbohydrate per day. So that's a dramatic difference in insulin sensitivity. So I saw that change 
And then I started to get interested in how I could share this information with others. I made some connections, ended up working at Forks Over Knives for six years, helping launch that company and that brand. We had a lot of success, a lot of fun. And then I ended up starting Mastering Diabetes with my co-founder, Cyrus Kambata, in 2017. And our whole purpose there was to fulfill a niche that was not being filled. If you wanted to follow a plant-based diet and you were living with diabetes, there was not a go-to source. There wasn't one website. There wasn't one book. There wasn't one destination where you really trusted the information that was being given. And we decided, you know, we're going we're gonna to create that. So we did that uh, with Mastering Diabetes. And we published our first book in February of this year. And yeah. so happy to see that it uh, hit the New York Times bestseller list and it's helping so many people. The feedback that we're getting on Instagram and Facebook, just the, the testimonials from people you've just never heard. You never even talked to them. You've never met them. You know, they didn't, they didn't join our coaching program, but they just read the book and they got results. That's fantastic. So that's now the best we do, part, right? Absolutely. So we do coaching. We do in-person retreats when that is safe. Uh, we're now doing virtual retreats during this new world we're living in. And um, we provide a lot of education, a lot of free resources through our podcast. We provide a lot of articles, recipes, testimonials. And that's what we're doing here at Mastering Diabetes. The whole goal, everything we do is teaching people how to reverse insulin resistance. That's the whole platform. That's the foundation. Okay. So that's really good. Everything you said is amazing and impressive. And I know you guys are doing, making such a difference for people with this plant-based diet, a whole foods plant-based diet that is, you make it fun and simple, which is really great. Um, But I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about insulin resistance because it is something that um, all of my listeners are likely dealing with being women with PCOS. This is a major driving force of their symptoms. And I know that in your community, you have women with PCOS. So let's talk a little bit about insulin resistance and Tell me, what do you see in your research for the book and otherwise is the driving force for insulin resistance, for someone someone to develop insulin resistance? Okay. So I'm so glad you asked. We, (laughs) in the book, went into mad detail on this and we have over 800 scientific references in the book. We really addressed a lot of the, the confusing topics here, which I know we'll get into a little bit, but chapter seven is all about the ketogenic diet for, you know, in comparison based on the research to a plant-based approach. And that's an interesting topic. But the first thing I want to say here is part of the passion that Cyrus and I have for talking about insulin resistance and really digging into this, into the research comes from our personal experience. And people living with type one diabetes happen to be, that's both Cyrus and myself, happen to, and millions of others, (laughs) happen to be the most incredible test subjects for the concept of insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance, because we have three essential pieces of data that other people who are not living with type 1 diabetes do not have. We know exactly how much insulin we are injecting. My pancreas produces an undetectable amount of insulin. I know that because I've had a C-peptide test and it's less than 0.1 truly undetectable. So whatever insulin I inject, that's the insulin that's working. We take the time to count the carbohydrates that we're consuming. So we know how much insulin to inject. And then we have consistent blood glucose data, whether we're doing finger pricks 10, 12 times a day, or we're wearing continuous glucose monitors and have data every every five minutes. So you take those three pieces of information and you can really get a full picture 
of what lifestyle habits improve your insulin sensitivity and which lifestyle habits decrease your insulin sensitivity. So we both had this amazing transformation of somebody telling us, hey, go ahead and start eating a bunch of fruit, a bunch of vegetables, a bunch of whole plant foods, and let's see what happens. And all of a sudden, our insulin needs changed dramatically. I mean, Cyrus saw 40% reduction in his total insulin requirements. I saw my insulin sensitivity improve by 900% by doing the exact opposite of what we are told. We were told, we were told to eat more carbohydrate-rich foods, and that's not what's happening out there. So this inspired both of us to go dig into the research. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Are, are we just freaks of nature, or is this actually a, a well-known, well-established piece of science? And the truth is, we have known since the early 1920s that dietary fat stored in muscle and liver cells is the primary cause of insulin resistance. There are other causes. There's no question. Advanced glycation end products are a problem. Um, excess sodium is a problem. Inactivity is a problem leading to inflammation. These are all problems. But nothing has a more direct and dramatic impact on your body's ability to metabolize glucose than excess dietary fat. Number one, the worst thing are trans fats. Everybody agrees on that. Number two, saturated fat. Uh, and then number three would be excess unsaturated fat is still also going to lead to insulin resistance. And what ends up happening is this dietary fat gets stored in your muscle and liver cells. And now your body creates a defense mechanism. It says, okay, wait a minute. I have too much energy in these cells. I don't want any more glucose. I don't want that glucose you're trying to deliver to me. So I'm going to make myself insulin resistant. I'm going to stop listening to insulin, which opens the door and allows blood, uh, glucose into your, into your cells. I'm going to stop that. So what ends up happening is you have high levels of insulin in your blood and you have high levels of glucose in your blood. This mm -hmm. is typical pathological insulin resistance. And as soon as you begin to reduce that dietary fat intake and you start incorporating other aspects of the mastering diabetes method, which includes intermittent fasting and some daily movement, all of a sudden you start burning away this excess dietary fat and your cells are happy to now let in glucose. Insulin receptors start functioning again, the doors open and you become more insulin sensitive. Yeah, and it makes total sense when everybody in the 80s went low carb and, you know, started eating more protein, which comes with a lot of fat in general, especially saturated fat from, you know, things like Atkins and just eating sure. and things like that. That's where diabetes was really on the rise, right? That's, that's right. when we saw a lot of those higher numbers coming in. Um, and you're saying, yes, let's focus on the fat, not on the carbs. That's right. That's right. How would someone who doesn't have diabetes, you know, how would they know if they're insulin resistant? What are some of the things that they should be looking for? So insulin resistance is at the, the center of a laundry list of complications. If you're living with heart disease, you're probably insulin resistant. If you're living with chronic kidney disease, you probably have some insulin resistance going on. If you are struggling with erectile dysfunction, insulin resistance. If you, I mean, PCOS is certainly, you know, we have the symptom there, insulin resistance, we already talked about that. Um, but in addition to those chronic diseases, you know, Alzheimer's disease is a big connection there, they're all calling that type three diabetes. In addition to those major chronic diseases, low energy, brain fog, 
acne, a lot of these, you know, more uh, subjective challenges are linked to insulin resistance. I would say the biggest one is people struggling with low energy in the afternoon, brain fog in the afternoon. When they start following the principles that we're teaching here, there's a laundry list of things that are happening when you start including more nutrient-dense foods, reduce, you know, the, the fat. But one of them, in addition to the, the, the nutrition benefits, is just the fact that you are becoming more insulin sensitive. Even though you're not living with diabetes, you're not like measuring your insulin, but your pancreas is beginning to produce less insulin. You need less insulin to metabolize the food you're eating. And all of a sudden you just reap these amazing metabolic benefits. Yeah. So there are immediate benefits for sure, but also long-term, right? So disease yes. risk goes down for pretty much every type of disease you can imagine. Chronic disease, yes. that is. That's exactly right. Okay. So... Let's dive more into your nutritional philosophy and the whole foods, low-fat, plant-based approach, okay? So tell me yes. about that. What are some of the principles of that diet? So our philosophy, we do at Mastering Diabetes, is very, it's nuanced and it's very particular to helping people get out of a metabolic challenge. So you, what I'm trying to say is, if somebody is generally healthy, they're not really maybe not struggling with any major issues. They just want to like improve their health a little bit. You maybe might, they might not want to take it as far as we take it, but we take it. It's very far. It's very clean because this is what helps people who are in a challenge get out of a challenge and it's healing. It's, it's restorative. So we've put food into three different categories to make it really easy to understand what to eat. Because it truly is confusing out there. If you are reading books, you look at it, like literally, it is hard to decide what foods I should put in my body. That is a true situation right now, which is kind of mind boggling. Like we're the only species that has a challenge figuring out what to eat. <laughs> but hey, it's where we're at. So we make it really simple and we encourage people to just, just give it a shot and then watch and see what unfolds. So the green light category includes... Uh, and this is a, it's a specific order. So get out your pen and paper, write this out, or you can just pick up the book. And we have, in the book, we have an actual list of every single food that's in our green light category. I went through the USDA nutrient database, looked at everything that's in that database, thousands and thousands of foods and said, okay, which foods do we recommend people eat large amounts of until they're full, until they're hungry, until they're satisfied. And that's what's listed in this book. But the green light category, number one is fruits. So that's Apples, pears, mangoes, peaches, bananas, all kinds of whole fruits. Number two is starchy vegetables, potatoes, yams, butternut squash. Number three is legumes. Uh, you're going to put like beans in there, peas, lentils, all those foods. Number four is intact whole grains. That's fill, uh, millet, farro, quinoa, spelt, whole wheat, all those intact whole grains. Then we go into the non-starchy vegetables. Those are like broccoli, cauliflower. You're going to see bell peppers in there. Then leafy greens. So that's going to be arugula. You're going to find lettuce in there. You'll find Swiss chard in there. And then herbs and spices and mushrooms. Now, the first four categories are very intentional in a very specific order. Fruits, starchy vegetables, legumes, intact whole grains. If you're going to successfully adopt a low-fat plant-based whole food diet, you have to learn how to eat calorie-dense green light foods. People oftentimes switch to a diet like 
ours. They try and adopt a plant-based diet. And they say, you know what? I'm just going to eat a bunch of salad, eat a bunch of vegetables, a bunch of carrots. I mean, and, and they get hungry an hour later, an hour and a half later. Like they're starving. They go and eat something they were eating prior. They get energy again. They're like, oh, wow, I need a cheeseburger. I need this in order to have energy feel good. It's like, no, no, you just weren't eating enough. And also oftentimes people start eating those salads with too many um, high fat ingredients, which also leads to, you know, lethargic energy oftentimes in the afternoon. So those four categories, eat those foods first, eat those foods first. And they are, again, people are very scared to eat them because they're carbohydrate rich and they've been told fruits make me fat, fruits going to spike my insulin. It's not the case in a low fat environment. That's the key. So yellow light foods, those are higher fat plant-based foods. That's going to include nuts and seeds, avocado, coconut meat, edamame, and olives. So soy products. Edamame is the most intact whole form of soy products. It's just a little bit higher in fat. It's about 40% of calories coming from fat. Everything in the yellow light category are great foods. They're healthy. We suggest you eat them. You just got to be cognizant of how much if you want to truly maximize your insulin sensitivity. And then we put in things like brown rice pasta and Ezekiel bread. That's going to be in the yellow light category. Great foods. They're healthy. They're just a little bit more processed. It would be ideal to eat whatever that food was originally made of in, in the green light category. So millet is better than millet bread. Both great, but focus on the whole food. The mm -hmm. red light category, these are foods that we encourage people to limit or avoid completely. And these are going to be animal products that are high in advanced glycation end products, higher in their saturated fat intake, uh, a little bit less nutrient dense. They're not as fiber rich. Many of them have obviously zero fiber in animal products, but we also have processed foods in the red light category. So even the more new vegan foods, like impossible burgers and stuff like that, that's in the red light category. That's not going to help you reverse a chronic disease and maximize your insulin sensitivity. So that's, yeah. that's the simple system. The more green light foods you eat while being very precise or very diligent about reducing your fat intake. Our recommendation is keep, try and keep it under 15% of total calories coming from fat. And to do that, you got to be aware that nuts and seeds, avocado are very calorie dense. It's going to be a lot of fat in a small amount. And once you understand that, you can successfully metabolize carbohydrate-rich foods because you've reduced your fat intake. Yeah. So do you find that people ease into this and they work their way through the different categories or is it more, do you recommend going just like cold turkey, cut out everything else and focus on these foods? It is ideal to take it slowly. Okay, Slow good. and steady wins the race. And also we had known now through a lot of research and experience in this field through our, cell and our work and our, our colleagues that a lot of fiber, increasing your fiber dramatically overnight can be very challenging for your gut microbiome and people experience severe bloating and it's just a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah. So take it slow. I know a lot of people get excited. They learn the information like, oh, I just got to dive in. I just got to go in all, but it's like, hey, wait a minute. You know, you've been eating all these other foods for 20, 30, 40 years. If you continue to have them at lunch and dinner, as you just change your breakfast, that's okay. So we suggest people change one meal at a time. Just change breakfast for a week or two, whatever it takes to feel comfortable that you've really got your breakfast down and then move into changing lunch for a week, then change dinner. And it's just a smoother transition. Yeah. So I'm sure you've heard this a million times, but the amount of carbohydrates that you have in this program is high 
And it goes against a lot of things that, you know, me as a dietitian were, you know, where we were instructed on and things like that. And do you think that the type of research that is being done is just not highlighting the fact that that's not really the issue? Okay. So I think the biggest problem here is people not understanding the type of carbohydrate that we're talking about here and the mistake that's being made in the research as well. Yeah, so, so tell me about that. With carbohydrate energy that we're talking about here is all whole foods. So these are foods that come with intact fiber. That is the biggest impact on your blood glucose level, your blood glucose control, your insulin sensitivity is having the, the glucose and the fructose and the sucrose that's in the whole food connected to fiber. It's this three-dimensional complex structure. And that's really important. In addition, the water content of whole foods is very important. In addition to that, the vitamin and mineral content, particularly phytochemicals, are really important for the, the overall health of these foods. And when you look at the research and people saying, oh, fructose is really bad for you. Fructose causes X, Y, and Z problem. That's isolated fructose. It's processed fructose. It's not in the context of eating a whole food. And it's certainly research that's not conducted in people who are also consuming an overall nutrient-dense diet. So we have to be really careful in interpreting a lot of the research that's it's limited. It's very limited. Same thing with you know, equating sugar to fruit. You'll hear a lot of people say, fruit it just turns to sugar. Sugar is sugar. It doesn't matter. And if you look at the research... That's not true. There's plenty of research, meta-analyses, controlled trials, where researchers were looking at whole fruit consumption and consistently, at large, fruit is associated with a reduced diabetes risk, reduced body weight, and an increase in just overall quality of life. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also important to realize that sometimes people try to get the components through different ways, like a fiber supplement or taking a mm -hmm. vitamin. And like you said, all of these things in whole foods work in synergy. Yes. So you can't really isolate this vitamin or that type of fiber and get the same result. It's just not the same. That's exactly right. And I think another thing that's important here is to learn about calorie density and understand that when you do eat these whole carbohydrate rich foods, you're not getting excess calories. And a matter of fact, it's really a little bit of a trick in the beginning for sure to help people get into a calorie deficit while still feeling full because you can't eat too much of these foods. This, the water and the fiber just fills you up. Right. For example, watermelon is 95% water content. <laughs> Banana is like 75% water content. Like you're just, these. it looks like a lot of food. You know, it seems like a lot, but it's really just a, a lot of water and a lot of fiber and that has a huge impact on your overall health and your satiety. Yeah. And I find this to be, at least for myself personally, an approach that I think would be a lot more sustainable um, than some other programs for sure. And I want to talk about keto, which I'm sure you hear a lot about and yes. get asked about. So tell me your thoughts on that. Okay. So first off, I really, really have a lot of respect for everybody in the keto world, the keto experts, the people who are following these diets, I think we have a lot more in common than we don't have in common. 
I think their efforts should be celebrated. And that our biggest problem in this country is apathy. It's people who don't try, who don't care, who don't pay attention. And the keto crowd that says, look, I'm not going to go eat processed garbage. I'm not going to go to McDonald's anymore. I'm going to raise my awareness and consciousness for everything that's going in my body. That's a big deal. That's a lot to celebrate. And particularly in the world of diabetes health, people get dramatic results. You cannot deny the short-term results that people get when they execute a ketogenic diet properly, whether that's a animal-based ketogenic diet or a plant-based ketogenic diet. People see dramatic weight loss. They reduce their A1C. They reduce their diabetes medications and just a, a laundry list of benefits. But our message, my message is not to say negative things about the keto world and what they're doing and make people feel bad about that. That's not what I'm here to say. What I'm here to say is if you want to explore another option, if that option is not working for you, you've hit some plateaus, things are going in the opposite direction, and you're curious, what can I do next? What can I try? What's out there? The message I have to share is every single benefit that you have gotten from the ketogenic diet or you wanted to get from the ketogenic diet, you can absolutely achieve with a low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet and some. And the and some is the very fact that we have a lot of long-term data and long-lived societies that have lived on carbohydrate-rich foods. There's different degrees of the percent of calories coming from fat in these long-lived people, whether you're looking at the blue zones or many other areas of the world that have been studied. But the bottom line is none of them demonized carbohydrates. None of them limited or avoided carbohydrate-rich foods. They all were following a lifestyle, which based on the research that we've uncovered, shows that they were glucose tolerant. When you're following a plant-based diet and you're, you're eating carbohydrate-rich foods in a healthy way, you maximize your glucose tolerance. When you're following a ketogenic diet, you do the exact opposite. You, you actually eat yourself into a state of glucose intolerance. And when you're following a ketogenic diet, if you want to have some blueberries, just a pint of blueberries, just one banana, you'll see your blood glucose skyrocket. You simply cannot do it because you've eaten yourself into that insulin-resistant state because you're relying on fat. And that is what is now being stored in your muscle and liver cells. And you, you're, you're, insulin, you're glucose intolerant. Now, for all the nerds out there who are nuanced and detailed, I want to acknowledge the difference between pathological insulin resistance and physiological insulin resistance. So that's what the ketogenic community is talking about. They're saying, look, our insulin levels are low and our blood glucose levels are low. Therefore, we're not insulin resistant. And what we talked about earlier was pathological insulin resistance, very high levels of insulin, very high blood glucose levels. And so what is missing in that conversation coming from the ketogenic community is the acknowledgement of the fact that they are glucose intolerant. They are choosing to live in a state where the only reason their insulin level is low and their blood glucose level is low is because they're not eating carbohydrates. They've simply removed the carbohydrate energy. So if, you, if you're a bad driver, you get in car accidents all the time, you get speeding tickets all the time, and I take away your driver's license, that doesn't happen anymore. No more accidents, no more speeding tickets. 
but we didn't address the problem. We didn't teach you how to drive. You, you didn't, you didn't, that's what's happening here. They're not addressing insulin resistance. And that's our concern. That's our concern for the long-term effects of what's going to happen following a ketogenic diet. Nobody can prove it one way or the other. We don't have studies. We don't have, we don't have uh, societies to look at. So I have friends in the ketogenic community. I love them. I respect them. And they say, look, especially in the plant-based ketogenic world, they say, look, my, all my numbers are looking good. My biometrics are looking good. I think I'm going to be okay. And fair enough. I, I respect them. That's your choice. I'm just telling you, you there's, there's nothing magical about it that you couldn't achieve on this diet. And particularly in the world of PCOS, in the world of diabetes, we're out here hammering home this message. If you want to eat carbohydrate-rich foods, you absolutely can. There's a lot of science to support it. You just have to be cognizant of reducing your fat intake. It truly is that simple and it, it's very effective. Can you give me an idea of like what a day would look like? Like what did you eat today? Tell me a little bit about, I see okay. behind you a whole market of fruit um, in, your, in your kitchen, which looks beautiful. Um, so I know my listeners are going to want to know what a typical day may look like. So yes. give me some examples. Okay. So I personally... I love to eat fruit. Like I am just, I'm like a fruitaholic. <laughs> um, and I have been doing this now for it's like 13 years and just really enjoying it. So for me, all my meals are going to be centered around fruit. And if somebody wants to do that, they can do that. But in our program, most people do a much more varied solution. But for me, I answer the question for me, and I'll give you a typical like overarching master diabetes day. For breakfast this morning, I actually, I prepare my food ahead of time. So I can actually look in my chronometer app and I can tell you what I'm going to eat today. Okay. And I actually think that's very important. I really believe in this. Um, in a world where it's difficult to eat healthy, unhealthy foods are everywhere. They're easy. They're accessible. It's challenging. In that environment, if you can spend the time in the morning or the night before to commit to your meals, to think it through, think through the logistics of how am I going to execute putting the foods in my body that I want to put in my body, putting the food in there that I know is going to help me reach my goals and nourish my entire soul, my entire being, improve my mental function. Planning is worth it. So I encourage that. Now, this morning, I had nice cream. I had bananas <laughs> and I had uh, frozen blueberries and okay. I put it through a Yonana's machine. All right. And you, you take frozen fruit, you put it through a Yonana's machine, and it is absolutely delicious. Now, for lunch, I am going to have a salad. The salad's going to have mangoes, lettuce, arugula, peaches, scallions, tomatillos. I love tomatillos. Let me show you what a tomatillo looks like. This, this is a ripe tomatillo right here. Okay? I oh know on, the on the podcast, people won't be able to see it, but it's very purple. And it. it has give. It has give. I love tomatillos. And then I eat a pre-dinner because uh, I, I do a, a little bit of activity and I need to get enough calories in, so I eat four meals a day. I'm going to have wild blueberries, scallions, arugula, peaches, and mangoes. It's very similar. And dinner is going to have a lot of uh, lettuce or a lot, a lot of greens and non-starchy vegetables. We encourage people to eat their largest meal at lunch. That's when you're most active. Yep. And to you know, improve your insulin sensitivity and your weight control and all that stuff, if your last meal of the day is more vegetable heavy, less calorie dense, that's going to improve your, your blood glucose control the next day. So I have lettuce, arugula, carrots, cabbage, um, scallions, 
more mango, um, some strawberries, blackberries, just know that like a fruit salad. Now, right. I'm going to read to you some recipes that people can have following the, uh, some of the stuff in our book. I'm actually going to read a plan from our, our the actual book. We have two meal plans in here, two 21-day meal plans. Okay. And there's 30 recipes in this book. So a typical day here on week three, when you've changed all your meals, is you could have a chickpea scramble for breakfast. Mm-hmm. For lunch, you'd have a sweet potato bake. And for dinner, you'd have a chopped power salad with mango sauce. And basically, the way it works is you basically you have a, a fruit-based breakfast oftentimes. All right? Sometimes, you know, you, you, that was like a chickpea-based breakfast. That's cool, too. Lunch is going to be a little bit hardier. Where that's where you're going to put in like the sweet potatoes, the yams, the butternut squashes, the beans, the the intact whole grains. Have it's a lot of bowls. We our program is just a lot of bowls. Like you take the bowls, yeah. You put them in the bowl. You put in some sauces. You mix some some vegetables in there, and it's just it's good and it's simple. And we also on our website we created a a packaged foods list where we show you which foods you can buy in a package that are convenient that are super healthy. You know. We got to be careful in our nuances. Some people say, oh, like all packaged foods are bad. That's not true in 2020. You know, you can get straight up pre-cooked quinoa, pre-cooked brown rice in a, in a package that makes your life convenient. That's healthy. So you take those simple things, a lot of vegetables that have been pre-cut, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just pre like, and they're just in the bag. You just take them out and heat them up. That saves you so much time. And it saves you money too, in a lot of cases. Yeah, because so, there is a lot more prep with something like this. Yes, absolutely. So you can totally take help from the store and, you know, get some of the convenience foods that are actually pretty clean and good. Yes, 100%. And there's a lot of them. There really are. So anyways, um, yeah, lunch is going to be a little more hearty. And then we encourage snacks, like eat, eat fruit, eat some vegetables, dip it in some bean hummus. Um, there's a company called Oasis that makes incredible bean hummuses. You dip it in that and it's good. Um, then for dinner, that's where you focus on the, the greens and non-starchy vegetables. But of course you got to have some calorie source, whether that's fruit or that's going to be potatoes or more lentils, more beans and more chickpeas or farro millet. You got to have some calories at your dinner. Otherwise you're going to be starving and you're going to have those late night cravings creep up and you're going to say, oh, this doesn't work, but it will work if you execute it properly. Yeah. Yeah, two things that you said that I recommend as well all the time, and I know they make a huge difference, is the planning. So logging ahead or even just giving it thought and setting your intentions about what you're going to eat makes a huge difference because you're not eating haphazardly and it doesn't become just a random collection of foods. And then eating lunch as your bigger meal of the day, Mm. I think makes an entirely different metabolic profile for someone. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. Have you found a lot of research around that? There's no question. Um, and, and just really about more like the circadian rhythm, yep. I think is where it sort of like pushes it. The, the logic tells you, okay, wait a minute. If I shouldn't be eating my big meal at the, in the evening, where else am I going to have it? Like earlier right. in the day, lunch seems to be a great spot. Breakfast could be a, a bigger meal too. I think it also can be tied to when people are active, when, when they're getting in that. If you're doing a really, really intense exercise in the morning, you know, it's probably a good idea to beef up your breakfast a little bit as well. So it really just depends on that. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the other components of your program. And, you know, you talked a little bit about intermittent fasting and activity. Yes. Um, 
Tell me about that. So I appreciate you asking. Uh, we're just so excited and, and just really happy about the, the method that we've been employing for the past three plus years and the results that we have been getting. So we've been doing it ourselves over 13 years. This has been in the research for almost 100 years. But what we've done is pieced it all together. And we've truly, truly created the most complete, comprehensive program for maximizing insulin sensitivity across the board for everything that we know in the research that can improve insulin sensitivity. It's part of the mastering diabetes method. So number one is the low fat plant-based whole food nutrition, which we talked about. And within that is a subset of reasons of why we're improving insulin sensitivity, which again, we touched on, which is the, the advanced glycation end products, you know, the reduced heme iron, the reduced nitrates. There's a lot of things that are happening there, which optimize insulin sensitivity on many different angles. But in addition to that, Number two is intermittent fasting, and that is a very powerful method for simply reducing your calorie intake. That's, that's basically what it's doing. We know through an, a laundry list of research that calorie restriction is the only known way to expand your life. If you want to live more years on the planet, the number one thing we know that you can do is don't eat too much food. Mm. So it's not necessarily like calorie restriction in the sense of like, oh, eat as little as you can. It's more about calorie appropriateness, like eating the appropriate amount of calories that you actually need and then maybe staying like a little bit under and you're going to put yourself in a good position. So you can do that whether you want to do a 16-8 fast. Sometimes people do a once a week, 24-hour fast. There's different ways to do it, but that's simply what it's doing. And mm -hmm. then the third tool we'd have is the daily activity. And I can't emphasize enough that any activity counts, any activity, whether that's just walking, whether that's doing chores around your house, it could, little movement makes a big impact on insulin sensitivity. And I can speak so confidently on a lot of this stuff, just because we have the blessing of working with so many type ones. And I'm telling you, we truly, truly are the most fascinating test subjects for this whole concept. You're a and really controlled experiment. Absolutely. All of us are. We yeah. truly are. And, and, it's, and it's a constant experiment. It's a day-by-day, meal-by-meal experiment that you can't get away from. You can't pause the experiment. It's right. always happening. And we've just learned so much through all the type ones we've worked with. And you want to increase your activity as well. You want to build it up. We like people to move six to seven days a week for about 30 minutes. And we'd like people to lose their breath eventually. But you don't have to start there. And even once you do that, adding in any amount of just walking, I encourage people, if you're going to be on your phone, go for a walk. And we all are on our phone, whether it's going to be a text thread, whether it's going to be watching Instagram stories, whether it's going to be scrolling through Facebook or a phone call, plan your day and go for a 15 minute walk, a 30 minute walk while you're doing that phone activity. Don't sit on your couch and look at your phone. Yeah. So the fourth aspect of the master diabetes method is the decision tree. And this is a very powerful tool that we created. It helps people understand the impact of their day-to-day -day decisions on their blood glucose levels. And even if you're not living with diabetes, I still think a decision tree is powerful in the fact that it encourages you to document the total grams of carbohydrate you're consuming, the total grams of fat you're consuming, and you put in chronological order all your activity throughout the day. And when you see that, on a piece of paper and you're encouraged to write it down, it impacts your decision-making process. 
And you really don't want to write down some of those things that you're not as proud of, especially if you're going to share with other people. Accountability comes to the table here. Mm -hmm. And nutrition logging is such a valuable exercise. You will learn so much. I'm not encouraging people to do it forever. I'm not encouraging people to weigh their food forever. You don't have, you don't have to weigh your food at all to do nutrition logging. You could just type in one apple, one banana. You, anytime you went to a fast food restaurant, it's, it's in these softwares, whether it's Chronometer or MyFitnessPal, just type in, you know, I had a Chipotle burrito. It's going to be in there. Enter that, become aware of what you're doing and, and just decide what changes you want to make. Step one is awareness. So the decision tree brings that awareness to everybody who's implementing the Mastering Diabetes Method and helps them optimize their entire decision-making process. I love that. I love that. Awareness and accountability are so powerful. I think people you know, underestimate how much they can be accountable to themselves or you know, if you're a part of the program, you want to utilize these tools. You don't know if they're going to work for you until you try them. So I think it's really important to be open-minded about that kind of stuff. Tell me this, if someone wanted to try this method, but they weren't ready to go all in, knowing my listeners, my beautiful listeners, if someone wanted to maybe try a whole foods, low-fat, plant-based approach three days a week, what kind of benefits could they expect to get? What do you think would happen with something like that? I actually expect dramatic benefits. Okay, We good. have seen a lot of people, and, and this is the truth. Not very few people actually do every single component of the method that we teach in the book. There's, everybody's got a little bit different preferences and there's going to be individuality. And it's not about perfection. It's about finding what's sustainable for you and getting in touch with your goals and deciding how much you want to push towards those goals. If you started eating these types of foods, these types of meals, you know, you got some recipes from the book. You got some recipes from our website. You did that three days a week. You're like, you know, what? I'm going to have three full-on plant-based days. I expect you're going to gain more energy. Your mental clarity is going to improve. You're likely going to lose a little bit of weight if you have some weight to lose. You're going to want to move your body more frequently. And I think you're going to enjoy the meal so much that the other days of the week, it's going to start creeping in and you're going to enjoy the benefits. And it's just going to be a, a snowball. It just picks up pace and tell you, like, I actually want these meals. And some of your older meals, you're going to start to feel the difference of, wait a minute, wow, that, that meal, it tasted good, but it, I feel the fogginess. Whereas yesterday when I had the plant-based meal, I felt different after that. And I liked the way I felt after that meal. I think I want to do some more of that. Yeah, that's the most powerful thing you can do, probably. Just document how you feel, how that meal feels in your body. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Um, where can people find out more about the principles of the method and everything that you guys do? Okay. So the best place to get started is our website, masteringdiabetes.org. In the upper right corner, there's a button that says, am I a candidate? And you can just fill that out to see if you are insulin resistant. You can take a quiz and you just answer some questions and you find out if you're insulin resistant. It's a great place to get started. I will say, Another great resource that I would love people to tap into who are listening to the show is go to Google, type in insulin resistance diet, what to eat and why. And that is a YouTube video that we have on our YouTube channel. It has 1.5 million views at this point. It's impacted a lot of people. We get a lot of people saying, oh, wow, I saw that video and I joined your coaching program and now my life has changed forever. 
So watch that video to get a deeper dive into insulin resistance and look at the research supporting more carbohydrate-rich foods and reducing total fat intake. Okay, great. Yeah, and you guys, you and Cyrus have such amazing testimonials on your page and such great information. So I highly recommend anyone listening, go check them out, Mastering Diabetes on Instagram and on your website. Yep. Um, I love your passion, Robbie. I think you are doing a fantastic job with this. So Thank you so much. Thank I you. really appreciate you having us on and the work that you're doing. Like we are all in this together. Yes. We are a team. And, and the reality is we're like a small percent of the population right now. And, and we got to grow. And I think something to remember for everybody listening is when you choose to make these lifestyle changes, you are doing something that's bigger than yourself. You truly are. You're, you're, your example means a lot for everybody else. And honestly, you becoming less of a burden on the healthcare system benefits everybody, starting to free up resources. You're helping the environment. It's a very big deal. So if you ever get lost and you're like, ah, oh, lose motivation, remember you're impacting, your decisions are impacting more than just you. And it's something to celebrate every effort you make towards better lifestyle choices. Amen. I totally support that. Thank you so much, Robbie. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview and I've found a lot of great insights, strategies, and information in what we discussed today. For more information, please visit the show notes below so you can get all the details, links, and recommendations that were discussed today. And if you like this podcast and what you've heard today, leave a review and subscribe to the show so you never miss when new episodes are out and you also help more people find this information. I'll be here again next week with a new episode. Until then, be well. Bye for now.